Maigo Vonnen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I want to talk about a little bit of Middle-earth history, and specifically the Kingdom of Arnor. And if that sounds vaguely familiar, but you're not really sure what it is, that's probably because you either have read the appendices at some point, or you just kind of recognize the etymological similarity with Gondor. I mean, they really don't have a whole lot of etymological similarity other than that nor at the end, or ndor in the case of Gondor, which just means land in Tolkien's languages. But the two kingdoms are the two kingdoms that were set up by the Numenorians or the Dúnedain who escaped from the downfall of Númenor, which I've talked about in a previous video, which I'll link in the description below in case you're not up to speed on the history of Númenor. Um, of course, the Dúnedain are the race of men from which Aragorn descends, and for that reason, both kingdoms are very important. Arnor is, in some sense, more important to Aragorn because he is descended from the line of kings of the northern realm of Arnor as opposed to the southern realm of Gondor. And what makes this interesting is the fact that you don't really get a whole lot of any history of it in either the Lord of the Rings movies or even really the Lord of the Rings main story in the books. The only place you really find much history of it at all is in the appendices. And so, I mean, if you've read the, the appendices before, you may know some of this, but a lot of people haven't read the appendices, and especially if you've only seen the movies, you really don't know any of this material. So this video is going to be dedicated to just going over kind of a brief history of Arnor so you get a little better idea of kind of Aragorn's background and, and what happened in the history of the northern part of Middle-earth that's distinct from the southern part, which is ruled by Gondor. So with that said, let's get started. So as I mentioned, you've got the northern kingdom of Arnor and the southern kingdom of Gondor. By the time the Lord of the Rings rolls around, the northern kingdom of Arnor has been extinct for hundreds of years. Uh, in fact, it kind of makes a point, and this is one of the few references you really get in the Lord of the Rings' main story in the books, uh, there's a reference to the fact that there's some old sayings that date back to the days of the king when there was a king, but the days of the king are long gone by the time it reaches that point. So they're just proverbs that nobody really knows the meaning of anymore, in the Shire at least. Um, but the main point here is Arnor and Gondor are both set up by the Dúnedain. When they escape from the downfall of Númenor, Elendil and his two sons, Isildur and Anarion, set up two different kingdoms in Middle-earth, and they kind of divide the rule between them. Elendil initially takes the rule of the North Kingdom of Arnor, Isildur and Anarion, his sons, take the rule of, they split the rule, essentially, of Gondor. And one way that you can kind of pick up on this a little bit is Anarion and Isildur are named after the sun and the moon, respectively. And similarly, the two towers that they inhabited were also named after the sun and the moon. Minas Tirith was originally named Minas Anor, Tower of the Sun, and Minas Morgul was originally controlled by Gondor and named Minas Ithil, which was the Tower of the Moon. And so, originally you have the two suns in the south, and then Elendil in the north. And just to get a visual perspective, Got a nice visual aid here. And you thought the only maps I had were on my wall. Mm. So anyway, as you can see, you've got Arnor up in the very northwest part of Middle-earth, and then of course there's Gondor way down in the south. And the 
Arnor basically encompasses most of this region here. It doesn't encompass the entire north because some of it was controlled by elves, some of it uh, by dwarves, and so on. And I'll probably reference this map again because it's going to become important. But the main point is the northern realm was originally ruled by Elendil. Once Elendil died in the main battle against Sauron, uh, Isildur left the control of the southern kingdom in the hands of Anarian's son. Anarian himself also died in the war against Sauron. So Anarian's son was given the kingship of the southern realm, and Isildur went to rule the northern realm. Isildur never made it because he died in the battle of the Gladden Fields, the ambush, um, which is the subject of yet another video, which I will link to. And then the as a result, his son, who was Volandil, ended up becoming the next king of, Anar of Arnor. And of course, some of his uh, heirlooms were passed down. The uh, sword of Elendil was, it managed to escape the disaster of the Gladden Fields. It made it back to Elrond, essentially, who ended up keeping them. And then the realm of Arnor continued on for a long time. Eventually, though, it ended up coming to its demise, and it came that way via kind of a long series of events, which at the same time there's a long series of events going on in Gondor that kind of messed up with its history too, which I'll get to in a later video, so I can't link to it yet. But the main thing is both have their own history, and in this particular case I'm going to talk about how Arnor ended up going from an equal realm to non-existent by the time of the Lord of the Rings. At first it goes along much like the Southern Realm does. Sauron is defeated, he's gone for a long time, but eventually there becomes there comes kind of the rise of the Kingdom of Angmar. And if you've kind of paid attention even to the movies, you'll notice that the Lord of the Ring race is called the Witch King of Angmar. Uh, but th that also is going to have to be a subject for another video because Angmar kind of has its own history, and that'll take a little time. The main point, though, is just as Gondor faces Mordor kind of as its main foe, Angmar, under the rule of the Lord of the Ring race, kind of becomes the main foe of the Northern Realm. And that's kind of what leads to its downfall in the end. But that's just kind of a prelude for right now. Let's go to the next section and get into detail. So before the war between Arnor and Angmar get, gets really heavy and leads to the ultimate demise of the kingdom of Arnor, what uh, happens in the meantime, one of the kings of Arnor ends up leaving three sons who kind of squabble over who gets the throne. And as many of these kinds of things in either fantasy stories or even history turn out, there ends up being a division. Think of, for example, Alexander the Great. When Alexander the Great dies, there's no one successor to the Greek Empire, and so you get four generals who kind of split it all up, and you end up with four sort of empires that end up being themselves conquered later on. In Arnor's case, this ends up being three instead of four, obviously, and the three sub-kingdoms, you might call them, are Arthodyne, Rudaur, and Cardalon. And Tolkien makes it fairly clear in the appendices that Arthodyne is the one that really has the right claim to the throne. Uh, the ruler of Arthodyne is really the one who ought to have been king of the whole thing. Uh, but Rudaur 
ends up becoming kind of like just a downright bad place. I mean, it ends up falling downright into evil. So you end up with kind of the good guys, the bad guys, and then Cardalon is kind of just in the middle. And they don't end up being hugely important to the story because they're kind of just the middle guy. They're not the main uh, heroic, I guess you could say, side of Arthodyne, and they're not the main bad side of Rudauer. But Rudauer ends up, and of course it doesn't start that way, Rudauer doesn't start as just an evil thing as soon as it's a separate entity, but it does end up falling into that pattern. And interestingly enough, it happens to be the easternmost of the three sub-kingdoms. And let me refer to the map again here. So, we've got Arthodyne, which is the far western of the kingdoms, and then you've got Cardalon down here, and then you've got Rudaur up here. Angmar, which is where the Witch King was, is up here. Rudaur is the closest, and as is the case with many things in the Lord of the Rings legend, uh, evil is associated with the east. In the Silmarillion, evil is usually associated with the north, because that's where Melkor Morgoth had his domain, was in the far north. In Lord of the Rings, it's mostly west versus east, and so it kind of makes sense that if you're going to have one of the three kingdoms end up being evil, it's going to be the one that's furthest to the east and also happens to be the closest one to Angmar. So you've got this initial division that kind of sets up the fall. Angmar grows in power over time because Sauron's Sauron himself or his underlings tend to do that. I mean, they, they tend to grow in power and eventually either suffer a major defeat or achieve some kind of victory but then get beaten back. And that's basically what happens here. Angmar kind of grows in power over time. There also tends to be a little bit of black sorcery going on. Of course, there's also, during some of the same period, you've got Dol Guldur in Mirkwood. That kind of comes into prominence at different periods. There's all kinds of different sub- I don't want to say subplot, because that's really the wrong word. But there's plot in the sense of plan, as opposed to storyline, I guess. Subplots on the part of Sauron. He's always trying to find other ways to come back and, and achieve what he never could before. So, Angmar is one of the ways that he tries to do that. He uses the kingdom of Angmar to try to attack the North Kingdom. And because the North Kingdom is already divided, it tends to work pretty well. Uh, there's a lot of war between Arnor, what was Arnor, and now three different kingdoms, versus Angmar, and because Rudaur ends up turning evil, it ends up being kind of a two-on-two. Cardalon is basically allied with Arthodyne against Angmar and Rudaur. And this ends up being a long-standing war that really decimates the, what was the North Kingdom of Arnor and wears it down to the point where there's just not a lot of it left. Finally, there is kind of a decisive battle in which um, Angmar is defeated, at, but with you know Arthodyne and Cardalon suffering severe losses, and it's only with the help of the elves that they manage to win the battle. Uh, Angmar, the Witch King of Angmar himself, flees the field, and this is where an interesting piece of history comes up because that is where, and I forget the actual character who says this, but one of the Elves, and it might have even been Glorfindel. I'd have to look at the appendices to get the specific character, but one of them actually tells the then king of Arthodyne, who wants to go chase him, he says, 
I wouldn't go chasing that guy because I don't I don't believe any mortal man will ever actually manage to kill him. So that of course is the prophecy that later gets referenced in the standoff between the Witch King and Eowyn at the Battle of Pelennor Fields. So interesting little connection there. Anyway, the main point is after this decisive battle, there is still some warring going on. Angmar hasn't been totally defeated. It's, it's It lost the main battle, but it still has some forces at play. Eventually, the last king of Arthodyne is forced to retreat into the far north, to the Ice Bay of Forochel, which he ends up meeting his end there, mainly because when a ship comes to rescue him, they get on the ship, but the ship gets trapped in the ice and it sinks. There's a Kind of a long story even with that. And that's actually how one of the Palantiri rather, of the North Kingdom is lost, is because he had it with him and that he got onto that ship and it sank. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, but then after that, of course, the there's no king left. He does have an heir, but they don't really continue the kingdom. And that's part of the interesting part, and that's where it moves into the next section of the video where we get to talk about everything between there and Aragorn. So as I said, after that king died, nobody ever really took up a kingship again. At that point, it became you were the chieftain of the Dúnedain. That, that's what they were. They didn't have a kingdom. There weren't enough of them really to maintain a kingdom. And so they kind of devolved into a semi-nomadic group uh, who maintained cohesion within their own group, but they didn't have anything like a um, political structure. I mean, they had a hierarchy because they had a chieftain, but they mostly just kind of stuck to themselves, fought Sauron from the shadows, and that sort of thing. And that's where you end up getting to the point where Aragorn shows up. He is the last chieftain of the Dúnedain, the reason he's the last one is because he ends up becoming king of both the North and the South Kingdoms, and so there is now a king, unified king again. And actually, I forgot to mention in the last segment, at one point in the history of Gondor, a king dies without leaving a proper heir. The North King of Arnor claims the throne of Gondor, basically saying, originally these were all the same kingdom under the same king, Elendil being the main head. I am the direct descendant. You don't have any left. Technically, I'm king of both. Gondor basically said, nah, we'll just take this guy instead. So you've got a little bit of tension going on, even between Arnor and Gondor at some point, which is why they don't help each other quite as much as they would, even under really desperate situations. But that being said, Aragorn ends up doing what that king of Arnor didn't manage to do, which is become king of both. But in between, you've got this long period of the Dúnedain being what we find out early in the Lord of the Rings is called rangers. I mean, the rest of the men of the of the area don't really understand who they are, what they do, but basically what they're doing is they're fighting the the evil creatures that Sauron would rule if he were, you know, active from the shadows, more or less. They defend the North from all kinds of threats without anybody in the North ever really knowing what's going on. So you may, you know, if you've seen the, the, the movie Lord of the Rings, then Boromir, of course, in the Council of Elrond says, by the blood of our people, your lands are kept safe. That's not entirely true. 
because in fact, the Dunedain of the North are keeping the North safe. And in the book, in the Council of Elrond, Aragorn actually points this out to Boromir. He says, don't think it's just you guys down there. We're doing our part up here. We're just not as obvious about it because they don't have a formal kingdom and they don't have like a legitimate army. It's just a band of, it's essentially like a tribe. Uh, the tribe of the Dunedain that are left, which is a very small number because of the way the kingdom collapsed. So, but the interesting point about this is you've got a lot of Dunedain still around who all recognize, you know, the heir of Isildur as their head, their chieftain, and ultimately that chieftainship passes down to Aragorn. Now, it passes to him at a very young age because his father dies young, but the main point is he is the inheritor of a group that has always been looking forward to the day when they could become what they were before. Because they know at this point that Gondor doesn't even have a king. It's passed you know, the rule down to stewards. But they've never had an opportunity or a real good reason to step in and say, Hey, look, I'm the king. They're all doing their thing up in the north. And they're waiting for the final war against Sauron to finally kind of bring everything to a head. And, and if they win, bring it all kind of to a summation of let's bring everything back together, revive the northern kingdom, and unify them again. So you've got a lot going on there. And what's interesting about the – there's kind of a distinction. You don't in the movie get the idea that there's really any Dunedain left. Uh, there is kind of a hint of it, and there's even a little – hint of the North Kingdom itself, in the extended edition of the Two Towers, Eowyn has a conversation with Ar Aragorn where she finds out that he's 87 years old and, and she says, you must be one of the Dunedain, which I'm not even sure she would really know that. Uh, if you read the books, you don't get the idea that there's really a lot of common knowledge that the Dunedain even live that long because most of them have mixed blood by that point, don't really live that long. Anyway, long story short, Eowyn has this conversation with Aragorn and he mentions the fact that uh, there are few of us left now. So you get a slight hint that there's more than just Aragorn, but not much beyond that. You don't get the idea that there's a whole lot of them. Uh, you get the idea that it's a small handful, maybe. Uh, and the other thing Eowyn, uh, well, I'm sorry, Aragorn mentions is the North Kingdom was destroyed long ago. Again, this is only in the extended edition, but even if you get the extended edition, you really don't understand what he's referencing. What North Kingdom? You know, I mean, it's kind of a random reference thrown in there. If you're a Lord of the Rings reader and you've read the appendices, you get it. But otherwise, you're kind of like, okay. Uh, I mean, you can kind of piece together the fact that it must be related to Gondor because they're all Dunedain. But even that's kind of misty in the movie. So the interesting dichotomy with that, though, is in the book, at, uh, after the encounter with Saruman, after he's defeated by the Ents, there's actually a whole group of Dunedain that come and meet up with Aragorn before he heads off into the Paths of the Dead, and they go through the Paths of the Dead with him. And, you know, they're, they're his kin. They're literally his family because all these guys are family because there's so few of them at this point. But there's, if I remember correctly, it's something like 30-ish guys show up. And, of course, they're not the only ones. That's just the ones that they could gather together in a hurry because they knew they had to get down there. So there is still very much a Dunedain presence in the north, but it's very small. It's very – it's unknown. 
I mean, people know who they are, but they don't know really who they are. It's it's kind of interesting. You get, you know, if you just read the books, you pick up on these hints of things. Then you read the appendices, you get all the information. It gets really interesting. But anyway, that's basically the history. I mean, you got the original two kingdoms, ends up passing into three kingdoms in the north because of the sun versus sun versus sun rivalry, which turns into one really nasty kingdom plus Angmar fighting against the other two kingdoms, civil war basically. Eventually you get to the collapse of the entire kingdom, Dunedain for a long period of time that are just kind of a nomadic people, protecting people from the shadows, until finally you get Aragorn who becomes the, the king who rules both the north and the south. Now, of course, at some point, I'm also going to do a video on Gondor because it has its own very interesting history. But Arnor is plenty enough for now, so I'll leave it there. So I hope you found that video instructive. Hope it gave you a little bit of insight into the history of the North, a little bit of history as to Aragorn himself, and some extra tidbits that you wouldn't pick up from the movies or even just reading the story if you didn't read the appendices. There's definitely a lot of history that goes into... a basically everything, because Tolkien was such a perfectionist and he wanted a complete world. So, if you do like the video, please like it, share it around. Please also subscribe to the channel if you want to learn more about Tolkien, pretty much anything Tolkien. A lot of it's Lord of the Rings, but I will also talk about other things Tolkien wrote. You can also follow me at Twitter, at JRRTLore, and pardon my voice for this video. I had a cold recently and it's just hanging on, so, but the show must go on, right? So, anyway, hope you enjoyed the video. Until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namaste.